Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. Hello and welcome to this very special week edition Masters edition of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf, and this week is anything and everything Masters and the Lexi fiasco, I mean the Lexi enforcement. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, my name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host Brett Alvader. But this week, you know, you know it's majors, it's the Masters. We cannot pass the opportunity to bring back again our friend or colleague, Kieran Clark, the European golf guru. I'm going to bring him in first. Kieran, hi, how are you today? I'm very well, Carlos. I'm becoming something of a regular on the show, having been on with you last week, which was good fun. I'm looking forward to doing it again this week. Obviously, so much to talk about. Obviously, the con- controversial finish today and the inspiration at the weekend, which was, you know, it made all headlines and actually generated a tremendous amount of interest in the LPGA's first major of the year. But obviously, it was a clouded victory, unfortunately, for So Young Roo. And, uh, and of course, how can we forget the Masters this week? The 81st Masters tournament, a trip down Magnolia Lane, the kind of rite of spring, as it were. Also, so many great storylines this week from Dustin Johnson, the world number one, Jason Day coming back, Jordan Spieth looking for redemption from last year, Rory McIlroy trying to complete the career Grand Slam, and of course some bad weather forecast for Augusta, which would make things very interesting indeed. So I'm excited to be here, Carlos, and I'm very excited to be sitting alongside, well, not sitting alongside, but talking with my great friend Fred Altvater. Bring him in. Freddie's back, but you know, he's sacrificing as usual. He's not in his home. He's having a hard time. Uh, he's in Myrtle Beach. You know. Fred, hi, how are you today? Hey, I'm just working, working, working every minute for the show. You know, it's all about <laughs> golf for me. You know that. Uh, we had a great time in Pinehurst last week. Uh, we spent some time down in Hilton Head, and now we're at Myrtle Beach for a couple of days, and I'm as I'm sitting here, it's just uh, just just got dark, but I'm nine floors up in a condo looking over the Atlantic Ocean with the waves rolling on the beach. It's like I say, it's just work, work, work for me, guys. You know all the time. Well, well but, Fred, Fred, if you yes. look closely, you might see me across the Atlantic Ocean. So <laughs> I'm, I'm almost high enough. I'm almost high enough to do that. If I go, there's a, a bar restaurant up on the top of this. I may go up there. Maybe I can wave at me. Okay, I might be able to see you. <laughs> hey, first, the first I feel very important. Yeah, I know. First and foremost, I really want to thank Kieran for working overtime to sub for me last week and to come on this week to do our big Masters preview. It's always great to have Kieran on. Second, Carlos, uh, this is the start of our fourth season of Back Nine Report, and we have loved every minute of bringing our loyal listeners our take and opinion. So, show here, fourth year. So uh, you mean a lot to our show, and uh, again, we're just tickled to death to have you on. Well, thanks as always, Fred. It's been a pleasure to come on the show over the last four years, and hopefully, here's to the next four years at least. That you yes, and, and and you'll be a great part of it as usual. Uh, but let's start as usual with our weekend backspin work. Every week, we recap the action on the major tours, and uh, in the LPGA, Sawyer Rue 
she won the second major championship of her career Sunday. She moved into the second spot in the women's world golf rankings, and uh, no one was talking about those things Sunday night. Uh, think of Soyeon Ryu as the innocent bystander of the weekend of drama of the ANA Inspiration. A talented and popular player, Ryu played 72 wonderful holes of golf at the LPGA's first major championship of the year. She broke 70 in each of the four rounds, and she might be remembered as the golfer who no one remembers from the tournament at Saul Lexi Thompson and Tangle in the rules controversy. You know, those Sandy Buffalo Wild Wings commercials, sure are funny, aren't they? Uh, you know, those ads in which uh, the waiters and the bartenders grant fans wishes by changing outcomes of games with the press of a button, right? You remember that? Yeah, but that's make-believe. A real, not-so-funny consequence rock LPJ star Lexi Thompson on Sunday because some random fan pressed send on an email that likely cost her a major championship the a and Inspiration in Rancho Mirage, California. Inexplicably, golf, for more than 25 years, has empowered couch potatoes to alert tournament officials of possible rules violations. You know, the absurdity of what happened to Thompson, though, could make her case the tipping point. Several high-profile PGA Tour players on Monday used their sports ultimate bully pulpit, which is the Masters at uh, Augusta National, to declare that enough is enough. I mean, Tiger Woods on Sunday was saying he tweeted, "Viewers at home should not be officials wearing stripes." Let's go, Lexi, win this anyway. And our reigning PGA Championship and Baylor product Jimmy Walker said, and I quote, "There's no other sport where anybody could call in and say, oh, that was a foul.' I mean, I don't know why we are the exception. Nobody gets to call in ins and outs in tennis. It just doesn't happen. I think we need to change that." I hear you, Jimmy. You know, the storm system that rumbled through North Texas here over the weekend wreaked havoc Monday at Augusta National, causing two course evacuations and the suspension of practice rounds by mid-afternoon, giving players time to vent about another aspect of golf that is really overdue for change. Last December, if you might remember, U.S. Golf Association and the Royal and Asian Golf Club uh, jointly announced what has become known as the Dustin Johnson Rule, granting courses the ability to waive the one-shot penalty if a, ball, if a ball moves on the putting green by accident. You might remember Johnson was docked one shot during the final round of last year's U.S. Open because his ball accidentally moved while he was signing up a putt on the fifth hole. Fortunately, he won, still won by three shots. Conversely, what happened to Lexi on Sunday was catastrophic at least within the context of the ANA inspiration, the LPGA's first season major. Thompson was walking toward the 13th tee with what she thought was a three-shot lead when a rules official told her that a viewer had notified the LPGA of an infraction Thompson had committed the previous day. You could hear Lexi ask, is this a joke? I mean, I wish DJ would have responded like that last year, you know, with his imposing physique. I think that the official might have backed down and say, no, no, DJ, sorry, uh, I was just kidding. But unfortunately, Thompson had been docked a four-shot penalty and now trailed by one shot. What heinous act had she committed? Before a one-foot putt on the 17th green, she had placed her ball approximately one inch from the coin. 
what is it, 11 inches in? She had to use a marker. She was penalized two strokes, of course, for the incorrect ball placement, and, of course, then two more for signing an incorrect scorecard. PGA Tour stand-up Justin Thomas tweeted after the incident, uh, whatever number this is that people can call in, it needs to go away. Hoping it doesn't cost Lexi. That was on Sunday. Thompson rallied with three birdies to force a playoff, but lost to Soyan Ryu. And then Thomas said yesterday, first off, I don't know, and me neither, I'm going to tell you that. First off, I don't know where this number or email is found. I really don't. I think I even Googled it before because it's bizarre that someone can do that. And it cost her a major championship. She deserved to win, and just because someone is sitting at home, gets behind a computer and decides to send an email to this mysterious email address and can change the outcome is bizarre to me. But before I finish, let me tell you that this has happened numerous times on the PGA, LPGA, and European Tour over many years, at least 26 times. In 1991, a viewer in Colorado reported a rules violation that caused Paul Asinger to be disqualified from the door right here open. As a result, the PGA Tour began placing rules officials in a trailer with a TV monitor for every tournament a slope that has proved so slippery that no pot at Augusta National could match it. Two months after that, to all rider open, Tom Kite hit a tee shot into the water on the 11th hole at the GTE by the Maxwell Classic. Kite and his playing partner, Phil Blackmore, agreed that the ball had passed over a point of land before splashing into the water. So he took a penalty drop on that point of land, but to official watching on a TV monitor believed that Kite's tee shot had not crossed the land, the official radio, hey, 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 no, no, that wasn't right. He didn't, so he had to play two balls, making five on one, six on another. You can imagine what happened afterwards. Uh, he fumed that day, and the rest is history. But turns out, golf was ahead of its time compared to other sports. The NFL, NBA, and MLB didn't implement rules that allowed for TV replay overturns until the past few years. But in the case of those sports, only coaches and on-site referees not average shows sitting at home can ask for replay reviews. You know, golf prides itself on strict adherence to rules with players usually calling penalties on themselves. If golf wants extra eyes monitoring tournaments, it should increase the number of rules officials watching each tournament. Protecting the sport's sanctity is one thing. People who take it upon themselves to call or email Tournaments are sanctimonious. No one likes a tattletale, even if he or she happens to be right. Ricky Fowler said, I'm sure there's already been some sort of push for change just from yesterday. I think it's been an ongoing problem. Fred, we'll probably never know why the LPGA whistleblower took so long. I think that maybe they were waiting for a happy hour at Buffalo Wild Wings so they could laugh over a beer and write the email with barbecue stained fingers. That that is a good thought, Carlos. That that, that is great tie in there. I love that. You know this whole thing. You know the new proposed rules changes for 2020. The wording in there says that the player uh, shall be uh, allowed reasonable judgment. There is nothing reasonable about this whole situation. It is just idiotic. We've gone on and on about this before, and still it happens. Just, I mean, we had Tiger in 2015. Just last year we had Dustin Johnson and Anna Norquist, you know, affected. 
And now the first major, the very first major, 2000, it pops up again. It's just out of hand. It's the madness has to stop. You know, is is So Young Roos win tainted because of the Lexi ruling? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> Lexi had this thing won. It was hers. There was no way somebody else was going to win it until this guy sitting on his couch took it away from her. That being said, So Young Roo was way overdue to winning again on the LPGA Tour. Her last win was in 2014. She had 68 career top tens. In fact, she finished inside the top ten her last eight starts on the LPGA Tour dating back to last year. The win moves her ahead of Aria to the number two spot in the Rolex ranking behind Lydia Cohen. Then Lexi is number four. So it was nice at the ANA. We had the top players, you know, in contention at the end. But this whole Lexi situation with the ruling completely spoils it for me. I just, I just hate it. I, I, I could go on. You know, you guys know I could go on and talk about this for ten minutes. That it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But I'll, I'll leave it at that and, and let Kieran get a couple words in, Carlos. <laughs> well, thank you, Fred. Yes, uh, like you say, there it was an extremely unfortunate situation, and it did taint the viewing experience of watching the first major of the year, which was extremely unfortunate. You had a great leaderboard there at the ENA, obviously potentially a, a great champion, a great American champion, one of the most popular players in the women's game, uh, winning her second major, winning that event for the second time, and that would have been a great thrill for everybody. Um, and obviously what happened since then, you know, it, it, was a, you know it, was, it was disappointing in so many aspects. But I think we have to be clear about one thing, is that the LPGA... Uh, did exactly the right thing in terms of in, you know, implementing that rule and the four shots penalty was correct under the rules. That's Whether you like the rules or not, that's just a fact. And we can blame different people and whatever else, but the reality is the first person to blame is Lexi Thompson herself. I'm not sure what she was doing uh, when marking a, a one-and-a-half-foot putt in the first place. She came in at the side, which is what you never do in marking a putt. You come in from behind, and she looked almost confused when she was trying to remark the ball. She hesitated wasn't quite sure where they put it. Now, why was that the case? Was there a pitch mark there? Who knows? But it, it, it was very clumsy, to say the least, from her. Uh, but, of course, then the question comes into, well, why wasn't that picked up at the time on television? You know, if you have rules officials watching it closely, they could have done that at that moment. And I, and I kind of reject the idea that somehow it's some, it's some fat guy on, on his sofa phoning in and emailing the, the, the officials. In the end, it's most likely going to be another tour official watching the event on television, contacting one of his buddies on site. That's the likely event here. It's not, it, there's not a hotline you can phone. It's just it's, it's someone who obviously knows some officials on the course at the, at the venue, and he called in or he or she called in and pointed it out. So I think in the end, it's, the, the, the debate is not so much whether the rule was correct. The ruling was correct. The question is, does the punishment fit the crime? And that comes down to the two-shot penalty, additionally, for setting an incorrect scorecard, which, of course, Lexi could not have known at the time, given she didn't realise that she'd incurred a penalty until the next day. And that's where the debate comes in. Of course, before last year, had this happened, she would have been disqualified, which would have been devastating. That, thankfully, has changed. That has progressed. So golf, in that respect, is moving in the right direction. So that's one question to look at. You know, I think, in the end, that should be changed going forward. I, I think a two-shot penalty for somebody who, who, would, who, who under no reasonable way would have known that she had incurred a, 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 a penalty shot in that round should be penalised two additional strokes. The two strokes she was penalised, however, were 
completely accurate and satisfactory. And in the end, it's a, something that happens far too often. Far too many players on tour, and Phil Mickelson, oddly enough, commented on this today at the Masters, and that far too many players are quite flexible with how they remark balls and greens. And why she's doing that for a one-foot putt, I have no idea. Um, and I think that was clumsy on her part, to say the least. So that's, you know, no one comes out of this looking good. But the game itself, in terms of the additional penalties, I think that's an issue that has to be addressed. I think it will be going forward. In terms of people being able to contact the tour and point things out retrospectively, that's potentially problematic, of course. We have events when things have been, been called almost literally 24 hours later. I think that is an issue. Um, but then again, the question is, what if there was an obvious rules infraction which wasn't spotted at the time, we didn't see it until the next day, and that person on to win the tournament having committed a, an offence? You know, that, that would be problematic for the game as well. So I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as some people do. And I think some of the outrage has been a little bit over the top, uh, particularly towards the LPGA Tour officials who did exactly what they're supposed to do, which is to protect the rules. That's it. Whether you like them or not, they're there on paper, and that's it. And uh, Rexy, unfortunately, committed an offence, a rules infraction. It may be a very minor thing, but she did it nonetheless. However, people calling in, emailing in, that's an issue as an thing. I think the solution is really to have more officials analysing television coverage all the time. And perhaps maybe after the day is completed, that should be it. Leave it there and move on. So in the end, it's on the officials on site to call things or not. That's it. It's on them, rightly or wrongly. Um, I think that probably will happen at some point in the future. Uh, but you know, Lexi Thompson has to take some of the blame for this as well. She committed an offence. Whether you think it's minor, silly, petty, whatever, it's a fact. She did it, and unfortunately, too many players do it. So, if, as Lee Westwood said on Twitter, if she'd learned how to mark the remark the ball correctly, this would never have been an issue in the first place. So, I think nobody comes out of the situation looking well. The game obviously looks petty and silly, um, but in the end, the rules are there and they were enforced correctly. I think that's important to know. It wasn't as if she was cheated out of this. She wasn't. What happened was, was correct. You might not like it. It might be, you know, might be you know, hard to swallow, and it certainly is. Uh, we don't wish that on any player, but what happened was correct. Again, the process is what needs to be analysed. So I think it's unfortunate for her. It's very unfortunate, obviously, for So Young Ru, who is obviously a great player, a great personality. And you know, her when, you know, unfortunately, like someone like Bob Goldby at the Masters back in the day when DiVincenzo was, was penalised, you know, the wrong scorecard there, she, her, her victory will be clouded to some, some respect. And that does seem unfair given how good a player she is and how gracious she was in winning. But obviously for Lexi, you know, the way she responded was incredible and we should appreciate that. And uh, the way the crowd responded to her was fantastic. But in the end, you know, it's, it is an issue for the game to address. But and under the rules as they are right now, what happened, I'm afraid to say, was correct. You know what? I am mad at all this, but I am even madder that I have to agree with you, Kieran. I, I can't <laughs> disagree. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to say something against it, but you kept throwing facts and facts and facts. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to move on. Let's talk about you. Yeah, no. yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm mad now. I'm mad now. In focusing on her own game, you know, Rio was able to birdie a par five, uh, 18th hole in regulation Sunday to take the lead in the tournament, then birdie the hole again in the playoff against Lexi to win the victory. Fans, as we have said, may feel Thompson deserved to win, but it was Rio really who earned the trophy and the $405,000 first place check and the right to leap into Poppy's pond. She also earned the rights to silence the critics who have singled her out as an underachiever on the tour, someone with the talent to win but just three victories and no wins 
since the, since the 2014 Canadian Pacific Women's Open. Even though she won the U.S. Open Women's Open as a non-member of the tour she joined in 2012, she was not being viewed in the same manner as other players, including her best friend, Envy Park. Despite not winning since 2014, she has been playing some steady and strong golf. I mean, she climbed all the way up to number two right now. She's 26 years old. She had made 64 consecutive cuts on the tour, including all five of her events this year. In this year, she has a win to second places, finishes a fifth and a seventh. Uh, last year, she had 11 top 10 finishes, including two runner-up performances. And she seems that she has been uh, sensitive to the criticism that she has received. That was one of the reasons why she was so emotional after that victory on Sunday. She said that the Dinah Shore Trophy for the event will go to South Korea and her parents' house because her parents supported her even with others questioning her ability to win. But so young overcame a heavy and loaded leaderboard in Bay Park. She keeps creeping up the rankings and the leaderboards. She played steady all weekend, 69, 69, 68, 69, finished one shot behind the top two in a tie for third with another veteran, an old rival of hers, Suzanne Pedersen, who played solid all weekend. She's showing a good form again. She's rising as well. And former world number one amateur Lin J. Lee, who is coming to her own and also played solid golf, was the other one in tie for third. In solo six was Michelle Wee, who's really having a very good start this year. Another veteran, Christy Kerr, finishing solo seven. Adia Yutanovern finishing a tie for eighth with Amy Young and Karini Cher rounded up the top ten with a solo ten. Other notables, world number one, Lydia Ko and Anna Norquist, T11, Ingi Sean, Brooke Henderson, and Charlie Hall uh, finished there also in T13. Mike Peak for the Rookie of the Year, Song Hyun Park, and last week's winner, Miriam Lee, also finished with them. Sean Sean Feng, Hannah Yang, T21, Stacey Lewis, Fred, and Se Young Kim, T27. What's your thoughts on the rest of the tournament? Yeah, just real briefly, uh, Carlos, uh, I never underestimated So Young Ryu. I have always had a deep respect for her game. She is a wonderful player one of the most consistent players on the LPGA Tour, and she has been for the last four years. Uh, she's only won now two majors, and the Jamie Farr, which is nearly a major, as we all know, because it's played in Toledo, Ohio. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, she's a wonderful player. And, and uh, anybody who was criticizing her play for not winning more uh, just doesn't get it. Hey, uh, just a couple of notes. Uh, Lucy Lee... Uh, now 14 years old, made the cut. Uh, a little interesting sideline here. Uh, we first saw her uh, qualify for a spot in the 2014 U.S. Women's Open, and then now she earned a spot in her second major championship already by winning the junior ANA Inspiration and then made the cut. Two majors by the age of 14. That's pretty good stuff. Uh, Michelle Wee keeps popping up on leaderboards. Interesting to see uh, her playing great golf again. She finished the sixth for her second top 10 of 2017. Expect to see Michelle Wee hoisting a trophy soon, guys. What What's your take, Karen, on uh, the LPGA's, the ANA inspiration? Well, there's not really much I can add to what you've already said. You know, obviously, it was a great leaderboard, so many you know, big-name players, a variety of different players in contention going into the weekend, and that's always exciting. Um, it's a leaderboard that will be hard to beat this year, I think, overall, and all the majors coming up throughout the rest of the season. 
but you know, it was good to see Michelle Wee play well again. She's you know obviously a, a superstar. You know, it's still to this day on the LPGA tour, she's probably the, I think almost unquestionably the biggest name player uh, on the circuit to this day with, with most casual sports fans um, because she came with such great anticipation back in the day when she was a youngster, much like Tiger Woods did back in the 90s. And uh, you know, she still has such a great talent, but seems, seems to play the game in, in such a scientific way, very slow, very methodical, almost robotic. And it's a shame because I, I don't think that was the Michelle way of 10 years ago. And even though she's still obviously a great player and that talent and skill level is still there, it's a shame to see someone who is such a natural player playing you know, a bit too scientifically. And it's a little bit like what Tiger Woods became later on in his career in that it just looks hard work. She makes golf look hard. Even, even though she's playing well, it, it looks a struggle for her at times. Um, and that's a shame because she's like, obviously a great talent and a big-name player and a very likable personality at the same time. But obviously a great leaderboard. And, of course, Lydia Ko, who, of course, missed the cut last week, uh, only the second time in her career. She came back and finished solidly here with a top-15 finish. So, you know, a better week for her. And uh, it's kind of an interesting period for Lydia Ko. Obviously a year which hasn't quite gone to plan so far. A lot of changes off the course of her coach or your know, equipment, her swing, all different kinds of things have been changed. And she's having the results a little bit patchy. And it's really the first time in her young career that she's had that sort of spell. So we're fascinated to see how she comes through that in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but she's a very strong personality, and I think she will at some point come back through and win again fairly soon. But uh, you know, a top 15 for her was certainly an encouraging performance. But uh, I hope in the future you know, we do respect So Young Roo as being a two-time major champion now and winning this event for a second time. Sorry, winning for the first time, I should say. And uh, you know, she's a great player, like Fred said. You know, people were doubting her unfairly. Um, but she's one of the one of the most consistent players in the tour, and, uh, and a very likable personality to go with it. So you know, we certainly, you know, all credit. You know, in the end, all she could do was post the lower score that she could, and she did that. It happened to be enough to get herself into a playoff, and she showed great composure in the playoff to win. So, hats off to her. She won fair and fair and squarely, whether you like it or not. She definitely won, and she earned it definitely. And she, like Fred says. She has always shown the poise. She has the talent, and she's even a better person. So congratulations to Soyeon Ryu on her second major win. But, hey, there was also action somewhere else. There was actually golf being played on the PGA Tour, believe it or not. Kieran, you have the recap of the Shell Houston Open where Russell Henley, first it looked like Ricky Fowler was going – flying off the gate. Tom King then after Saturday looked like he was going to win his first one, but it was Russell Henley who rallied right at the end with a fantastic final round to win, so tell us all about it. Yeah, I'm actually afraid and I feel almost like a fraud for saying this, but you know, I don't think I watched a single shot of a Cell Houston Open last week. I was pretty frustrated <laughs> on the A&A inspiration. And it's a terrible mission for me to make. I try and keep track of what's going on. So I'm going to pretend that I watched it, and I'm going to try and give you the insight as if I was actually there, which I'm afraid that I probably can't do, but I'll do my best. But yes, Russell Henley was the last guy into the field at the Masters after coming from four shots back on the final day to win the Shell Houston Open. The 27-year-old from Georgia, of course, a homeboy, he'll be delighted to get back into Augusta. And he was a long shot on Sunday, but he did it. And he's one of these players who, he, when he's on, he's blistering. He can whole putts from just virtually everywhere. He's got that sort of Ben Crenshaw look to MB Park almost where the putts just drop from everywhere. And he made 10 birdies on the final day in a final round of 65. And he dropped, even dropped the shot on the 18th, but he still won the title by three shots, leaving Sun Kang trailing in his wake behind. 
Ricky Fowler obviously was a little bit further back from that as well, having been in contention over the weekend, but didn't quite finish it on Sunday, mind you. I'm sure Ricky will be fully content having played well and going into Augusta with increased confidence from that. But Henley, you know, he's one of these guys who, like I say, he's not the most consistent player necessarily. He had a very shoddy year last year, slipped down the rankings, uh, but he's bounced back here. And he's one of those guys, when he's hot, he's, he's a tough guy to beat. And you know, even if we come to Augusta, I think it's off to a good start this week. You never know, he could begin the mix at Augusta. You know, he's, you know, the greens there and the putting, you know, it's such a great asset to have at Augusta National, as we all know. And he's got that. You know, if the rest of his game's up to scratch, then he could be an outside bet, perhaps, to have a little bit of a run at the green jacket, particularly if weather conditions are inclement, as they're expected to be on the first couple of days. So, you know, uh, Carlos, you know, Russell Henley, he's a, one of these young players who we kind of forgotten about. You know, two or three years ago, he was right up there with the really the new stars for American golf. Obviously, in more recent times, you know, Jordan Spieth's taken that mantle you know, fully, and obviously now the likes of Smiley Kaufman and Justin Thomas, who of course, has won so many times already this season. You know, they have sort of taken the mantle of being the, the great young American stars. But Smiley, uh, Russell Henley is only 27 years old. He's still there. He's still a young player, and uh, there's so many of them now. But he's one of those guys who he's now he's a three-time winner on the PGA Tour now. And uh, you know, with that putting touch, he when he's on, he's a hard man to beat, and he can do some shoot, shoot some incredibly low scores as he did at Houston. So Carlos, you know, the field now at Augusta is set at 94. Russell Henley is the last man in, and you know what? I don't think he'll finish last this week. No, he won't. And like you mentioned, if his putter goes hot, hey, he could do some damage there in Augusta. Fred, how about Russell Henley's win? Yeah, you guys summed it up there. He is very streaky, and he was on on Sunday for sure. Uh, he was in position and took advantage of it. Um, you know, he had wins in 2013 and 2014, but kind of a forgotten man. Still a very good player. Uh, finished well inside the top 25 in his first four years on tour, earning over $7 million. So, hey, uh, Sung Kang, Sung Kang, however you pronounce that, uh, his putter was on fire on Thursday and Friday. He, he Did you see the putts he was holding earlier in the week? Didn't do quite so well on the weekend, but, boy, he was really rolling them in on uh, Thursday and Friday. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Ricky Fowler later in the show, but let's just say right now he had another quality outing except for a couple holes on Saturday. He's someone who should be a factor next week in Augusta, and I'm going to talk about that. Um, Hudson Swapper, another Georgia guy, came in at T6, had another good finish. Uh, you know he wants a green jacket. Our friend, uh, friend of the show, Zach Blair, collected a uh, T8 in Houston. Congrats to him. A uh, guy that just continues to impress, John Rahm, got another top ten and is definitely a factor for this week. Also, interesting side note there, uh, Peter Uline, still playing primarily on the European Tour, was T23, Carlos. He does, and he's playing pretty good. He's sneaky going in and climbing up the, the, the ranking, so... He's one to keep an eye in the short future. But hey, you have to talk to us about there's something you know, there's something about Mississippi that Miguel Angel Jimenez, the golf's <laughs> most interesting man, he really likes and I don't know what it is, but it has resulted in trophies the the past two years. what is going on? He he did it this time in, in, in a playoff over Gene Sowers, right? Yeah, he's gonna have to be at a place in uh, Biloxi or Golfport down there. Uh that area's been very good to him. You know we love the Mississippi Golf Resort Classic. Uh, the 11 casinos in the Biloxi Gulfport area sponsor this event. I had the chance to go down there a couple of years ago, and if you want to golf and gamble, the area can definitely satisfy your itch. The most interesting man in golf, 
Miguel and Hal Jimenez gets another Champions Tour victory. He joined European Tour in 1988 and has 21 wins over there. At the age of 53, he's still winning on the world golf stage. This is his fourth win on the Champions Tour and his second consecutive in Mississippi. He beat U.S. Senior Open champion Gene Sowers on the first playoff hole at Fallen Oaks with an 18-foot birdie putt. Miguel said, I feel very nice. I feel I'm playing very well. When I make birdies, I feel like I can win the tournament. Then just keep playing well. Make a couple more birdies. I'm happy to defend the way I defended. Yeah, yeah, I had some emotions out there. No. Uh, and where's the claret and where's my cigar? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. Um, the 53-year-old Spaniard jumped out in front of the second round uh, and uh, midway through the final round. He met, and Menace tried to give it away at the end. He held a two-shot lead with one hole to play, but he made a double bogey. So Sowers made a par, so the two headed back to the 18th feet to the playoff, and, of course, Miguel Angel won it. Um, Sowers had tied the course records with 63 on Saturday to get in the position to win. In addition to his two wins in Mississippi, Jimenez also won the 2014 Greater Gwinnett Championship and the 2015 Mitsubishi Electric Championship in Hawalalai. In 25 starts on the PGA Tour, champions Jimenez now has 11 top three finishes and four wins. That's pretty good numbers. Steve Stricker has had a second and a third in just his two starts on the Champions Tour this year. He had the round of the day with a 765 to finish T3 at 12 under on the week. In his debut two weeks ago, Stricker finished in solo second at the Tucson Conquistadores Classic, just one shot behind winner Tom Lehman. Uh, Bernard Longer had a good finish this week, guys. Ended up tied with Stricker for third, so looks like Bernard's getting his game back in shape, and you know where he's going to be this week. He's going to be in Augusta. Back to you. All right, Kieran, any comments before we close the weekend back to uh, Just to say this quickly, and obviously with Miguel Angel Jimenez winning in the Champions Tour again, great achievement for him, of course. Uh, and I must say quickly here as a caveat, I don't endorse smoking at all. I don't endorse consuming copious amounts of alcohol. But I do hope that Fred this evening is sitting in his Myrtle Beach condo, smoking a cigar and enjoying a glass of Rioja. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I have a little uh, bit of carrot. I, I have a little bit of uh, um, a little bit of wine here tonight. I, I don't think we're going to open it, but I do have some with me. Oh, there you go. Uh, you just, you just <laughs> a nice Cabernet. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, you just hit the cigar too. Well, with that, we'll wrap up our weekend backswing. We're going to take our first short break. When we come back, we have the par five news. Don't go away. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. Now it's time for the Par 5 News, and Fred, as usual, you get the tee shot, and we're talking about Augusta, so you have to talk about the drive, chip, and putt. How about that? 
Yeah, the uh, PGA of America and the Masters have teamed up to bring a great idea for junior golfers to fruition. I think this is the third year for the drive, chip, and putt competition. Junior golfers ages 7 through 15 compete in four different age groups uh, in skill areas of long and accurate driving, chipping, and putting in local and regional competitions to qualify for the finals that are held at Augusta National on Sunday prior to the Masters, which, of course, was uh, on Sunday two days ago. Several pros came in early to Augusta just to watch the kids compete. Freddie Couples gave some kids his green jacket to try on. George Spieth was around. He was by far the most popular with the kids, shaking hands, getting to know him, talking to him about golf. is all good stuff. Bubba Watson is a big supporter of this event and is always on hand. Of course, Bubba is just a big kid himself, so he kind of fits right in. One of the boys in the 14 to 15 age category scorched the drive over 300 yards. 300 yards, guys. When was the last time you hit it 300? Well, there's both boys and girls competitions, and the winners in each were the 7 to 9 girls, May Wang from Katy, Texas. 10 to 11, Lucy Yan from San Diego. 12 to 13 was Alexa Pano from Lake Worth, Florida. 14 to 15, Savannah Gruel from Mississauga, Ontario. So we've got a Canadian in there. And the boys, the 7 to 9, was Carter Gade from Manhattan Beach, California. 10 to 11 was Liam Hartling, another California kid. 12 to 13 was Zachary Collins from Bolton, Massachusetts. And 14 to 15 was Mason Quagliana from Scottsdale, Arizona. It's not too early for to sign up for next year, parents. Get your kids. Go on the PGA of America website. Look it up. Uh, just, you know, search for uh, Drive, Chip, and Pot. It'll come up. I just love this activity for kids. There are winners and there are losers, but they all got a chance to take a few divots out of Augusta National, and that's always a good thing. <coughs> one, of, one of the knocks on the Drive, Chip, and Pot is that it appeals only to maybe elite kids and children of wealthier parents who are introduced to the game at a younger age. My answer to that is that any Muni kid can sign up and compete at a local event and try to work his way to the finals. I competed in the old punt, pass, and kick years ago, guys. Competition sponsored by Ford, and I always looked forward to it as a kid. This can only be seen as a positive for the game of golf, and I hope we can find more of these same types of activities for kids. It doesn't just have to be golf either. I'm in it for all of it, guys. Let me just tell you, Fred, I did once hit the 300 marker with a tee shot. I, I, and it was in a part three. I shanked it and went all the way to the other <laughs> hole and, and hit the 300 mark. So, yeah, I, I did Very hit good. it. Very good. Good job. Yeah. All right. Yeah, man, I did it. Yeah. Hey, Kieran, <laughs> Nike's committing to Rory for 10 years. Tell us all about it. Yes, indeed, Carlos. Uh, Rory's obviously this week going for the career Grand Slam once again at the Masters Tournament at Augusta National. A huge week for him, and he's coming into it with some you know, nice little financial news in the background, of course, as well. <laughs> and Nike may be fleeing uh, the golf equipment industry, uh, but in terms of apparel and, and their branding, you know, they're still going all in with Jason Day and now indeed with Rory McIlroy, with the news coming out that the four-time major champion from Northern Ireland has signed a 10-year deal to represent the brand on tour over the next decade. And, uh, you know, it was reported in ESPN.com initially, and, uh, and Rory was asked why Nike was the right brand for him. And he told Marty Smith of that website, 
whether it was Roger Federer, Michael Jordan, or the soccer players I followed, they all wore Nike, Rory said. I always associated Nike with the best, with greatness. And that is why Rory has signed up with Nike for another 10 years. Yeah, whatever. I'm sure the money had nothing to do with it, Carlos. The money is just a bonus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was icing on the cake. That was icing on the cake. Hey, let me tell you, in a big lift heading into this week's Masters, the European-born trio of Thomas Peters, Tadell Hatton, and Tommy Fleetwood have been officially confirmed with specially temporary membership for the reminder of the of this season. The trio have qualified by virtue of earning more FedEx Cup points in their limited number of appearances than the player ranked number 150 in last year's uh, FedEx Cup standings. In Peters' six PGA Tour starts with the new 2016-17 season, the 25-year-old Belgium golfer has enjoyed two top-five finishes, a T2 at the Genesis Open and a T5 at the WGC Mexico. Uh, with his finish in Mexico, Peters earned 110 FedEx Cup points, taking his total to 416, surpassing the points earned by the player, number, number 150, and has, in fact, moved to, four, to 441 non-member FedEx Cup points after his T30 finish at the Dell Technologies match play. Peters, who captured the 2012 NCAA's Men's Individual Championship while competing for the University of Illinois, has three career European Tour wins. Last year, he won the Made in Denmark on the European Tour, finished fourth in the Olympics Men's Golf Competition in Rio, and was a captain selection for Europe at the 2016 Ryder Cup. Top 10 efforts two weeks ago by Hatton and Fleetwood at the API Arnold Palmer Invitational tipped the scales in favor of special temporary membership for the England duo. Hatton, who's 25, finished T4th and jumped to 200, from 217 to 340 non-member FedEx Cup points. He has now three top 10 finishes in five starts having finished T4 at the Under Classic in 10th at the WGC Mexico. Hatton has now 384 non-member FedEx Cup points after his T17 finish at the Dell Technologies match play. And Fleetwood, who's 26 years old, needed just four non-member FedEx Cup points after finishing runner-up a few weeks back at the WGC Mexico, and he did that superbly a week later, in sharing 10th place at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the current Abu Dhabi HSBC champion went from 315 to 388 points with his finish at Bay Hill and to 401 non-member FedEx Cup points after a T39 finish at the WGC Dell Match Play Championship. As a special temporary members, all three are eligible for unlimited sponsor exemptions for the remainder of the season as they attempt to earn their PGA Tour cards for next season through the non-member FedEx Cup points list. You know, these members are not eligible for the FedEx Cup playoffs, but special temporary members or non-members who subsequently become regular PGA Tour members by winning an official event during the season will be counted on the FedEx Cup points list along with any FedEx Cup points earned as a non-member those exclude those won at the WGC uh, as a non-member, and thus they become eligible for FedEx Cup playoffs. And Fred, the inclusion of Peters, Hatton, and Fleetwood 
on the PGA Tour now brings the total of international members to 88 on the tour from 23 countries from outside the United States. Yeah, you know, I got a question. I got a question for Kieran here. Um, let's see now. So, Thomas Peters, uh, Fleetwood, Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrell Hatton, uh, John Rahm, uh, I think those are four guys that are going to be on the Ryder Cup team, maybe. Is this Ryder Cup thing, this is going to get pretty serious here with these guys coming on. Oh, absolutely. We, we actually talked about that last week, Carlos and I, about players like Fleetwood and Hatton coming through. That you know, Thomas Bjorn is now obviously the Ryder Cup captain now, and he must go to his bed every single night feeling very pleased with himself that all these great players are coming through. And uh, John Ram, of course, is signed to be a European Tour member as well as being a PGA Tour member, so he's going to be eligible for the Ryder Cup team next year as well. So, you know, the European team last year, uh, Hazeltine, I think, uh, was very much a transitional team. Uh, a lot of older guys kind of edging out of it, Westwood and so on. Younger guys not quite the same experience that maybe they needed to succeed against a very strong American team last September. But I think the European team now, uh, next year will be stronger, one, because all these young players coming through are going to be on the team, and they'll also have a greater level of experience than they had last year. And uh, they're all contenders now on the PGA Tour, playing on the big stage, you know, Fleetwood's competed in WGCs now. Hatton's played well in the PGA Tour. You know, and Thomas Peters obviously is a superstar in the making. So, and John Ram, you know, incredible. So, European team next year, Fred is looking very strong. And I don't know how many task forces the Americans have got for next year, but it might not be enough. <laughs> like off national. <laughs> yeah, this writer. Yeah, this writer cup just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> hey uh, guys, uh, you know we keep making fun of the USGA and the PGA and the PGA Tour for kind of being having their heads in the sand and not trying new stuff and being stuck with the old ways. But uh, you know what? The PGA Tour announced last week that it's taking a drastic step in allowing the use of rangefinders by tour pros what? at no, no, right. what did you I say? guess this right. is what? quite. Yeah, I know. This Your is quite surprising. Your I love finally. this. Yeah. yeah, you know I love the rangefinders, right? Allowing the use of rangefinders on such a stage will once and for all allow us to see if they speed up play on the professional level and how they look to a television audience. I can tell them how they look. I suspect that we've seen uh, uh, you know, other elite golf where players use rangefinders as a way to double check what they learn uh, via their traditional yardage books. Uh, it's not going to speed up play. Now they're just going to be more confused. Uh, per the press release from the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour has announced that it will begin testing the use of distance measuring devices during competition at select tournaments this year on the web.com, McKenzie, and the PGA Tour Latino America. Each of these three tours will allow the use of the devices by players and caddies at four consecutive tournaments, including Monday qualifiers for these events. The PGA Tour will temporarily enact a local rule in accordance with da-da-da so that they're allowed to use them. Um, anyhow, they're doing this uh, over the summer for, for a month or so, and they're going to check it out. Um, I am not sure this is going to be something that's going to catch on and make it to the big tour, but I do applaud the PGA Tour for at least testing the waters and letting the public get a feel for it. My opinion of watching regular tour players take two, three minutes on every shot, shooting a distance that they are probably not going to hit anyway is a big waste of time. 
Um, I'm not sure it's going to be any different on these tours with professionals. So, um, you know, there you go. Um, I, I hate rage fighters. I hate them. When I see someone get one out, I'm thinking, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. The rangefinders, and now if they go pro, you know, maybe they will put some more technology in it, and it'll make it quicker. You'll see. It'll catch on. Yeah, you're a tech guy. You like that technology. I know. I'm the old part. I know. Hey, Kieran, there was a report from the National Golf Foundation about the golf courses number. Tell us all about it. Yes, thank you, Carlos. I must quickly say that I am completely on Fred's side on this, on the rangefinders, because I'm not a fan of them either. I don't even understand the point of them. To me, judging distance and working it out should actually be a skill in golf, and uh, to me, they reduce that skill, and I think the game, uh, as, as the skill in the game has been reduced so much, all it's kind of more scientific than art. I think golf should be more artistic than, than scientific, and I think this is another step in that direction. And also, you know, we all love the caddies. You know, Fred loves the caddies. He's a big caddy man. He loves the caddies. I love and to them. To me, he loves them. And I think this, you know, it's going to it's going to reduce a big part of the caddies' workload, and you know, they might start to become redundant. You know, how long until we see robotic caddies? You know, it's it's not going to be far away. You know, it's it's coming. This is this is a brave new world, and, and that's the future. But yes, I'm not a fan of the rangefinders. But my, yes, back to the topic here. And uh, a report coming out from the National Golf Foundation looks at the golf industry in the United States and analyzes golf courses and how many are being opened, how many are being closed, how many rounds are being played, how many are not compared to previous years. It's also an interesting read. And uh, this one didn't really come up with any surprising results necessarily, uh, but also it kind of documented kind of a, a long-term trend within the game. And the game continues to go through a period of natural correction, which was certainly anticipated following a 20-year period of the most dramatic growth in golf's history, really since the 1990s onwards, you know, until roughly about a decade ago. And then, of course, the, the, the economic crash hit and things changed dramatically from there. And at the end of 2016, uh, there were a total of 15,014 golf facilities in the United States, uh, comprising of 14,100 open and operating 18-hole equivalent golf courses. And uh, the final 2016 count showed a net reduction of 171 courses, which amounts to a 1.2% contraction from 2015, so it reduced by an extra additional percentage point on the year before. And, of course, golf goes up and, got ups and down, of course, and then it saw the, last year saw the permanent closure of 211 courses, but the opening of 15 brand-new courses, uh, actually 15.5 courses, so there's a half a course somewhere. I hope we can find that one. <laughs> but, uh, but see, these statistics, they make no sense, but there we are. But, um, and there were also 95 courses reopened after comprehensive renovations, while another 11 and a half courses, 11.5, were deemed permanently closed. So half a course that was closed, other, That was your other half right there, Kieran. That, <laughs> that was it. Exactly. And those golf courses welcomed back golfers after a prolonged shutdown, of course, which is obviously good to see. Uh, and, of course, it's noteworthy that since 2006, and more than a decade ago now, when the trend of more golf course closures than openings began, the, the cumulative reduction of the total supply is 5.9%, and uh, that pales dramatically in comparison to the unprecedented 44% growth in course construction that came two decades prior, which obviously would, could never, it was a bubble that could never last, much like the housing bubble back in the day, which is going to happen again, of course. But there we are, it's not a story. And, uh, but the U.S. remains the best-supplied golf market in the world, boasting almost 45% of global facilities 
but yet less than half of the best players. That's in our story altogether, of course, as well. And uh, <laughs> the approximate 1% net reduction in courses in the 2016 count demonstrates a further contraction of the market, but it's certainly getting smaller as time goes on. And, uh, but in terms of rounds in, uh, being played in the United States, they were actually up last year by, I think it was 0.6%. The previous year, rounds were up by over 1%. So the number of golf courses is decreasing, but the number of rounds played is slightly increasing, or you could probably say it's remaining fairly static. Um, so I think in the end, this is more, more or less a case of the golf industry uh, finding its feet again after an incredible amount of growth for 20 years, which obviously could never last. It became too big too quickly uh, for a game that really is very much a niche sport. It's not going to be a mainstream sport, you know, like football, baseball, you know, those kind of games. They're different altogether. But this one, you know, golf is getting back to what I think is a more sustainable level. Uh, I don't think it's something to necessarily panic about at all. I think it's a natural working of the market and, so, and society, really. And uh, golf is just, you know, realigning itself to fit, fit in with the modern world. And it's, real, it's really its, it's, it's true place. Because I think in the end, you know, over 20 years, there was so much investment in golf, not just in, in the United States, indeed, but across the world, which really did outstrip demand. And now we're getting the golf course numbers and courses and, and facilities are actually reflecting the demand, which still remains high. I think people need to remember that is that the industry may be contracting, but compared to what it was 25, 30 years ago, it's still much bigger than it was then. So I think the game, you know, it's, it sounds bad, but I think you know, when you read between the lines and actually look at the figures closely, you know, the golf industry, you know, golf will, it's still going to be here 50 years from now. It's just finding its feet once again after many years of growth and then uh, a sharp reduction in the past decade. But golf, you know, it's been timeless. It's been here for hundreds of years now and uh, it will be for many more to come. And with that, we'll wrap up our Power 5 News. Now we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, it's here, finally here, the practice range where we're going to talk about the best and most comprehensive wall-to-wall preview of the Masters. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back. And now it's time for the practice range for every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and this week, well, what else can it be there? I mean, I don't think there's anything else happening the whole weekend other than the Masters. If you're not there, or at least watching it, I don't know what you're doing. But anyway, the time is finally here. There's a catchphrase with which all golf fans are familiar. Hearing Jim Nance say, a tradition unlike any other. Around the Masters has become its own tradition after 31 years. The same has even been trademarked by Augusta National and Al Adorn's tournament merchandise. But this is a microcosmos of what the Masters is. It was first played in 1934. Uh, the Masters tournament is one of golf's four major events alongside the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA Championship. The tournament is staged every April at the Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta. Although it became a regular stop on the professional tour in the 1930s, it was not immediately recognized as one of golf's major events, a fourth component of a modern Grand Slam. 
Several factors helped the tournament evolve into that prestigious position in the 1950s. The support of Dwight D. Eisenhower, who often played at the club during his presidency, the tournament's success with the emerging medium of television, and the annual presence of such stars as Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer, and a bit later, Jack Nicholas. The Masters was a pioneer in many respects. You know, Clifford Roberts devised the over and under to par scoring system. In 1949, Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts originated the post-tournament ceremony in which the defending champion presents the new champion with the coveted green jacket. You know, that, that, that was uh, what began as a really uncomfortable status symbol has gradually become one of the most iconic and recognizable trophies in sports right now. You know, that, that's incredible. Everybody likes to watch that. Once one thing they haven't pioneered. Oh, another thing is that the Masters was the first golf tournament to be televised in 1956 on CBS. In time, other tournaments adopted many of the Masters' innovations. One thing they haven't pioneered, but they have, may have been the best in their is their smart app device. And that's you know, I'm a technology guy, so I have to talk about that. I don't know about you, but I love watching the Masters on TV. But if, you have, if I had to make the choice, if you tell me, hey, you cannot watch any other golf tournament of the year, you know, okay, I'll, I'll find a way to watch the Masters. There's nothing like kicking back and watching it on a nice HD screen from a comfy couch. The problem is that the Masters starts on Thursday when most of the world is at work. And day two, same problem. The action starts early when people, most people are working. But if you get an iPhone or iPad, hey, you're in luck. Yeah. I won't fault you if you have another type of phone like an Android or Windows. They have an app for you too. But uh, if you, uh, it allows you to watch five live streams of video content, including feature groups uh, channel directly on your iPhone over Wi-Fi or 3G. It also includes a live scoreboard as you'd expect, and of course, overview packed with detailed information and flyover videos of each hole. I tested that iPhone app late uh, yesterday, and the streaming video performance was impressive. You know, they've listed table, tablet, picture-in-picture capabilities, which allows you to watch two different streams from the coverage at the same time. Apple Watch notifications and shot tracker enhancements are listed as new for this year, but most interesting of all, will be Apple TV options that allow the legendary feeds to be seen on a big screen. Of course, those great feeds remain aiming corner live, holes 15 and 16, featured groups and masters on the range. They also have included exclusive leaderboard, which features up-to-the-minute scoring and video highlights of the greatest moments on the course, leaderboard everywhere for you to follow live scores and updates while you're exploring the app. Course overview with detailed whole information with imagery and flyover videos from various positions on the whole. Live radio coverage, tea times, the latest news. I mean, all the technology junkie like me needs to stay connected, even if I am not home watching. There's no excuse for you not to follow it. You know, the Masters continues to grow in prestige and popularity. It remains the only major golf tournament staged every year on the same course, a feature that provides the event a sense of continuity and familiarity lacking in the other major tournaments. Recent competitive highlights include Jack Nicholas's unprecedented sixth victory in 1986, Australian Greg Norman's 
heartbreaking losses and Tiger Woods' spectacular victories in 1997, 2001, 2002, and 2005. The Masters has long taken pride in the international makeup of its fields. It continues to grow the world's best golfers annually to Northeast Georgia for what has become one of the world's finest golf tournaments. Kieran, what is your take on the Masters? What is it to you? What it means to your biggest memories? What is it so special about the Masters? Well, firstly, Carlos, I must quickly note that one thing I'm always grateful for each April when the Masters comes around is that in the UK, we don't have to listen to Jim Nance during the tournament. I'm always delighted. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, oh, man. I'm not Hello, a Jim man. Nance fan, I'm afraid. I can't cope with the trickly. Oh, no, it's, just, it's all too reverential. It's too much. You, you know, you, you actually, you probably become, become a diabetic with so, with so much sugar coming out of television. It's so sweet <laughs> oh, and wonderful. It's, That's why it's the Masters pays him to do all that stuff, though, because he's so great for him. Uh, he's, ve- he's very good at it, yes. There's no yeah. question about that. But I, just, and, but I just think it's a little bit too much at times. But, yes, the Masters is indeed very special. Back on topic, obviously, it's the first, major, first men's major of the year. It's really we're, we're all emerging out of the winter uh, all over the world, really, in the Northern Hemisphere, certainly. And uh, the Masters is really kind of the signaling of not just the first major of the year, but also really the beginning of the, the real golf season for most regular golfers. You know, and into April now, into spring, this is when most people will start to go out and play on their local golf course again. And the Masters is almost like the inspiration, the catalyst. You watch that on television and you see all the great vistas and you watch the exciting golf and it inspires you to go out the next day, hit some balls in the range or get out on the golf course. And that's always been the case. It's been kind of a rite of passage you know, obviously it has great familiarity, as you mentioned there, Carlos, being the only major on the same golf course each year. And I think that is ultimately the secret to its success, in that we as viewers, we become so familiar with the golf course, we recognize all the great iconic you know, holes and shots and views. You know, when you watch someone on the, on the 12th tee, you remember Fred Couples in 92, how lucky he was. Jordan Spieth last year, how unlucky he was, kind of conversely. And all these great moments and shots and disasters and greatness, you know, it's all there wrapped up in each little shot, each little uh, fabric of that golf course. Obviously, aesthetically, it's an incredible-looking place, uh, you know, so manicured beyond belief. And it, it was quite fascinating, actually, to read an article in Golf Digest the other day talking about the, kind of the hidden secrets of Augusta National as to how the golf course has that certain tranquility to it and why it looks so nice. Well, apparently, the water on the ponds and the creeks is, you know, that, that's actually food colouring is put in that water to make it blue. So that's not quite real. And you know, there's also been chat through the years that they, they, they've painted parts of the grass actually green, literally, to try and hide some of the imperfections. And indeed all the bird noises you hear on television when Jim Nance is, you know, waffling on or whatever he's talking about, when all the birds are chirping away in the background, that's all fake noise put in by CBS. They were asked to do that back in the day, and they've continued to do that ever since to create this tranquility. And people who actually have been to Augusta National, which I unfortunately haven't, I know Fred has, people often note that there aren't many birds there, but yet on television it sounds like there are hundreds of them. But, um, so like, Augusta is a remarkable place. It has a, a checkered history in so many aspects, of course, and, uh, and that undercurrent is still there. But once the golf tournament kicks off, it is a great showpiece. You know, it's a, an exciting golf course. It's, you know, it has this wonderful way of both, each hole has this ability to both reward greatness and potentially ensnare somebody into some sort of disaster. It's a very tantalizing course. You know, it rewards great play and aggressive play, but it can punish it 
so severely as we've seen throughout the years to so many great players who haven't picked up a green jacket, Greg Norman, of course, being probably the most well-known candidate for that. And Rory McIlroy also found himself in that same situation as well. So the Masters, every year, I've, I've watched it since I was very small. It's my first memory of a golf tournament actually watching the Masters. Uh, I, I remember, I actually remember watching Ben Crenshaw win back in 95. I remember watching Nick Faldo winning in 96. And I remember Olaf Fabo winning in 99. Of course, Tiger Woods, who achieved that remarkable victory, watershed victory for golf 20 years ago, a 12-shot win, which really changed the game forever and really ushered in a new era, the greatest decade of dominance that golf's ever seen. And it's ironic, really, 20 years on, he will not be there this week. But yet we are going to see, I think, the legacy of that success two decades ago play out this week. And for me, that is through the great depth and diversity of great young players in their 20s who watched Tiger have that success when they were small children 20 years ago, and, they're, and, they're, and they are now top of the game, playing the game like he did, maybe even surpassing it in some respects to what he did. And that great depth of young talent, I think he played a creative hand in that, and we're going to enjoy the fruits of that success this week. And uh, I think that will be Tiger's greatest legacy. And I'd rather we talked about that rather than his continuing struggles and... Uh, I think that's something to reflect on this week. But the Masters is, of course, always special, always unique. And this week it will be fascinating with the weather conditions being potentially inclement. And uh, you know that green jacket, you know that butler cabin ceremony, it's the most awkward thing you've ever seen on television, but somehow it's got a magic to it as well. And that green jacket, as you say, Carlos, is iconic, it's symbolic, it is the ultimate symbol of excellence in golf. And uh, I can't wait to see who puts it on on Sunday. Fred, how about your take? Well, you know, why do we love it so much? You know, the tradition, of course, Bobby Jones, uh, Augusta National designed by the great Alistair McKenzie. You know, it annually identifies the best players. It has a limited field. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's an annual renewal of springtime up here in the north, and we start thinking that, you know, maybe we can get out and start playing golf again. Um, you know, along this line, if you want to get a little bit more at Masters history, um, if you uh, go on Jeff Shackelford's website, he has uh, some links in there that you can click on uh, to get some more stuff. Uh, the Masters homepage has some video of old Masters. Uh, Arnie's on there. Tiger's on there. It's very good stuff. And, of course, this is the 20th anniversary of Tiger's 1997 win. Um, and, you know, he's not playing this year, as, as you guys have said, but, you know, he does leave the legacy of the players that are there going, uh, doing it now. So, yeah, why do we love it? It's, it's the Masters. It's Augusta National. It's almost a place of reverence when you walk in there. Um, for me, it's, it's an annual ritual. I, I love everything about the Masters. Um, you know, even the privileged attitude of the Augusta National Chairman and the members, you know, it, it's you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of been kept from the 50s and the 60s, and the traditions carry on. So, you know, kind of the best thing for me, looking back, was Jack Nicklaus winning in '86 at the age of 46. That was a sight I'd never forget. Greg Norman's total collapse and loss to Nick Faldo, very memorable. But I have to admit. Tiger shooting 40 in the first round, coming back to win in 1997 by a, a large margin. Um, simply unbelievable to me at the time and still is today, guys. 
Definitely. And the Masters, <laughs> I'm sorry, Kieran, but it's a tradition like any other. Definitely. Oh, no. <laughs> you had to say it. it, is, oh, it no. I'm sorry. I had, to, I, had to, I had to throw it out there. But, hey, let's pass now from what it was to what it's going to happen this year. And uh, there's a lot of stories going on. And we're going to divide this preview now into telling you about the top players first, then we're going to go to the almost top players, and then we're going to give you our own takes on the top international, the young guy, the veteran, and who's going to be the dark horse, and who's going to win it. So let's start with the top six players, and we have divided them into six uh, into the six top players that we think right now, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, and Jordan Spieth. And Fred, you're going to start talking about Dustin Johnson, and Kieran will follow up. So tell us all about what you think about Dustin Johnson and his chances this year. Well, he has just put together a magical season thus far. Uh, A win at the Masters would simply be the icing on the cake. In seven starts this year, he's missed only one cut, finished outside the top ten only once, and has won his last three starts the Genesis in L.A., the WGC Mexico, and the WGC Dell match play. He's number one in the world, number one in the FedEx Cup by a wide margin. He's already earned $5.3 million in prize money. Yes, he can drive it as long as anyone, but his wedge game is off the charts right now. That's why he's winning in bunches. Watch his distance control with his short clubs, and that's exactly what is needed at Augusta National. And especially if it's rainy and wet, that's going to make the golf course play even longer, so his length comes into play. That will make the greens hold the shots better, and he's just, he's just lasering those short irons in there right now. So, um, you know, if you can hit it close, it'll make anybody a good putter, even if you're an average putter. So, you know, Dustin Johnson, I think he's going to be a hard guy to beat this week. How about Kieran Jason Day? Uh, yes, and Jason Day, of course, we saw a few weeks ago in really quite extraordinarily emotional scenes when he pulled out of the WGC match play, which, of course, where he was the defending champion, and uh, when he confessed to the world, you know, bravely and, and just admirably to the press that his mother was had been diagnosed with lung cancer in Australia and uh, was given only tw- 12 months to live. She was terminally ill, and uh, he had to withdraw the BFR, and she was going to have surgery at that Friday and um, he wasn't sure when he'd be back and what his state of mind would be. Uh, thankfully that surgery was a success and her prognosis is now significantly more positive. Uh, her life should be much longer than 12 months, You know, hopefully it will be many years to come. Obviously it's cautious and you never know what can happen with these things uh, but certainly it's a lot more positive than what it was a few weeks ago and um, he's back at Augusta this week. You know, Obviously the emotions are still high uh, but I think in a, in a strange way, you know, he, he was feeling more relaxed. You know, the, the, the immediate threat to her life is now no longer there, and he can just get back to playing golf again. And I think when he gets to Augusta this week, he, he will play with a weight off his shoulders. He's, he's had that all year since he found out about what, what, what was wrong with his mother. He hasn't played, he hasn't, hasn't been himself. He hasn't been able to focus on golf, and now he can to an extent. And I think you know, he comes in with a more relaxed attitude, uh, and that could help him this week. Obviously, we all know how capable he is. He's a great player. He's been a perennial contender in majors for the last five, six years, really. And going back to the 2010 PGA Championship, he's played well at Augusta numerous times. I think the one issue with Jason Day at Augusta is I think he's perhaps too aggressive at times. 
there's not a pin that he doesn't think he can go for, and you can become unstuck there. If you hear, listen to Jack Nicholas, of course, being the most decorated Masters champion, he always talks about caution at Augusta. You know, pick your moments to be aggressive, but all, you know, middle of the green isn't necessarily a bad place to be. And uh, Jason Day hasn't always followed that philosophy, and he's come unstuck at times at Augusta and indeed at other majors because of that. Uh, but in terms of his game, obviously he's capable, he hits the ball a long way, has all the tools, great putter on his day, good short game, great iron player. He's kind of, for me, the archetypal modern golfer. He has all the ingredients, like Tiger Woods' great idol had, to succeed at Augusta National. The question is whether his focus is quite there. I think it will be once the tournament begins. Um, obviously, he hasn't quite as maybe practiced as many other players have been in recent times, and that may affect him. But, you know, strange things have happened. Guys have come into Augusta with no form, have won it. Guys you don't expect have won it. And coming from behind, older players have won it. Left field players. And uh, Jason Day, you know, with the, the real weight off his shoulders about his mother's illness, you know, she's now in a better place, he's now in a better place, and that psychologically could be a real aid from this week. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Jason Day in contention. He might not win, but, you know, I agree with Fred, Dustin Johnson remains the man to beat, but, you know, Jason Day is one of those guys who could beat him. Ah, man. It's incredible. I got Hideki Matsuyama. It's a surprise to me that I asked Surprise. surprise. I'm shocked by that. That was a surprise. I was in shock. I mean, (laughs) how much time we have left? Uh, 48 minutes? I I hope I can finish before it's over, but uh, let me see if I can cut this down a little bit. Uh, The first time Hideki, he showed at the Masters, he was just a 19-year-old amateur, and his expectation bar was set him low. Now 25 and already making his sixth Masters start as the highest-ranked Japanese golfer in history, he has more than pride on the line at Augusta National. He has risen to number four in the world rankings, but he has yet to win a major. Despite his modest champion, major championship record, mainly because he's only 25 years old, he presents Japan its best chance of gaining a Masters champion. Had this tournament been in February, Matsuyama would have emerged as the unrivaled favorite. From the Japan Open in October to the Phoenix Open in February, he collected five World War wins with two runner-up finishes sprinkled in the mix. As it stands, Matsuyama is coming off four uninspiring finishes in which he has failed to crack the top 20. Potting has become a problem for the phenom lately, but the law of averages means he could cool off a bit at some point anyway. Aside from Jordan Speed, a few younger young players can boast the same type of success at Augusta as Matsuyama over the last couple of years. Speed, of course, has a win and two runner-ups, but Matsuyama has also impressed with a fifth-place finish and a T7 in his last two attempts. Despite his great recent form at Augusta, he has broken 70 just twice in 18 rounds there. So that, some of that has to do with the recent lengthening of the course that has made scoring, especially in the front nine, more difficult. But let me tell you one thing. His rhythmic, slow swing has become famous for the lag as its apex. I, I wonder, Charles Barkley probably is wondering how Matsuyama pulls off the trick so successfully. Patience is the key at Augusta with its subtle undulation changes, tricky angles and sleek putting surfaces. And he runs hot and cold with the short stick, has just one round over par at Augusta during the last two years. 
He has been hitting the ball farther and straighter off the tee recently. His iron game has always been solid, so his chances rest on the state of his short game. So forget about his most recent starts, the Mesca, the T25, the T41, and the T51, because he has to be one of the favorites entering this week. Uh, his resume speaks for itself. He defended his title in the Phoenix Open. He won a WGC event. He won Tigers tournament in dominant fashion. He's done everything you want from a world-class player, except win a major. You know, he's third on the PGA Tour in birdie average and might have the best tee to green package of almost any player on the planet. He doesn't hit it as far as DJ or John Ram or as stiff as it as much as Jordan Speed, but he can do both very, very well. And let me tell you one thing. He has proved he he has done anything in golf, he has proved he belongs. And major is next and he should be confident about his abilities to slip on a green jacket sooner than ra- Sooner rather than later, Fred, everyone on tour is trying to figure out how to beat Dustin Johnson right now. But Matsuyama might be the man to do it, and I'm betting on him to do so. Well, you keep betting on that. I don't think it's going to happen for you, but, uh, you know, good luck with that one. <laughs> hey, remember, that's what was said about Danny Willard when I said it last year. Uh, yeah, I, remember. I remember that. I should know remember better, that? shouldn't I? I? I should know better than to doubt you, I know. Hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about Justin Thomas, who got off to a very fast start this year with a win last fall and then two in Hawaii. But his last six starts, he's missed three cuts, had two T39s, and did have one T5. Inconsistent at best. I do not see Justin contending at Augusta unless you're hitting on all cylinders and extremely confident with your game. The course and the pressure is just going to eat you up. So um, I just don't think he's quite got the short game to, to get it done there. Don't see Justin doing well this week. You know, but, you know, we'll see. So, Kieran, how about, you know, this guy a lot? You can talk about him all that you want. Roy McIlroy. Yes, and really for the – the remainder of, his, of Roy McIlroy's career, every Masters will be just the pressure will be there, the anticipation will be there, the spotlight will be on him greater than any other event until that is, if and when he actually wins it, uh, because of course he has com- he's completed three legs of the Grand Slam at the young age of 27 and he hasn't completed the fourth leg as of yet. It's a very rare company who have done that, Gene Sowers and Ben Hogan Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and of course Tiger Woods are the only five players who have won all four major championships that we have today. And uh, Rory is trying to enjoy the, uh, enjoying the most exalted of companies. And uh, this week, of course, Augusta National, where you know, the course has, he has some history there. Uh, not always positive history. We all remember his, his dramatic collapse in 2011 when he had the lead, started brilliantly, and then just fell apart around the turn, that tee shot on the, uh, on the 10th hole, and obviously collapsed around the amen corner. It was very sad to watch at that time but he showed tremendous resilience to bounce back from that two months later to win his first major at the U.S. Open at Congressional. So Rory has shown his ability to come back from adversity in the past. But, of course, you know, the Masters, as I said earlier, it's the one major at the same course every year, so every player gains a history, good and bad, memories, and the, the scar tissue there for all players. And, uh, you know, Jordan's people have that in the 12th. It'll always be there. And uh, 
Rory will have the same around that turn like he had six years ago and even last year where he was in the last group with Jordan after two rounds and the third round he collapsed to a 77 I think it was to fall right out of contention so Rory hasn't always got on well with Augusta National but yet he's finished in the top 10 in the last three years and his finish has continually improved each year so he's getting round to playing the golf course consistently again one thing seems to have unstuck him each time a couple of years ago he played the par fives very poorly which affected them there and that's always a great thing at Augusta National you have to play the four par fives really well because they are birdie opportunities every one of them and um, and most players take advantage of that fact and he has a length off to take them, take them apart potentially uh, but Rory has you know such a strong game you know, for any course and you know, he's long high drives, you know, that's a great asset to have at Augusta. But yet this week, with potential winds forecast on Thursday and Friday, gusts of potentially 30 miles per hour on Thursday, you know, that could affect a lot of things, a lot of players, including Rory. You know, so that's a real kind of unknown this week. You know, the Masters seems to be the major that rewards the favourites more than any others, but this week the weather might affect that slightly. As we've seen in previous years, when the weather was, was bad in 2007, when Zach Johnson came through and won with a score over par, and the following year when Trevor Immelman won, having shot 75 on Sunday, the weather was poor that year, and less field winners can come through and take advantage of that because it reduces the advantage of the top players. So the win could affect Rory McIlroy, but if it doesn't, he gets lucky with a draw. A soft golf course suits him perfectly. We've seen that throughout his career. That's what he wants. That, that suits his game perfectly. And... Uh, and Rory's coming in here extremely well prepared. Obviously, he had a bit of an issue with his rib injury earlier in the year. Hasn't played as much tournament golf as he would have liked, but he's consistently played well. He was unlucky at the match play. He played well there. Just happened to lose to an inspired Soren Kelson, and then, of course, was eliminated after a withdrawal and the effect that had in the round robin format that week. And uh, he's coming prepared. He's played 99 holes at Augusta National in preparation in recent weeks uh, ahead of a tournament. And he was speaking with Jack Nicholas uh, yesterday evening, Monday night, on the phone, talking about the tournament, how to play the golf course. And Jack advised him, like I said earlier, you know, be conservative, be patient. The golf course, you know, it, there's a lot of tricks to it. There's a lot of things there that can, that can catch you out. It can be enticing to have a go at the pins, but sometimes you just have to aim for the safe spot, take your par, take your medicine, take the big scores out of play. Maybe Rory hasn't done that in the past. And with Nicholas giving him that advice, you know, it could be an assist from the great man this week. But obviously you know, there's great pressure internally, really, for Rory this week. He's already said this is the biggest event of his year every year until he wins it. It's the one he wants the most because it's the one he doesn't have. And that comes with an added pressure right there. And maybe he has too much of an agenda. He has to control that this week and he doesn't want it too much. If that can happen, maybe that was what happened to Greg Norman back in the day. He wanted to win the Masters too much and he kept getting in his own way. But if Rory can come in with a relaxed attitude, there's no question that when, when Rory plays to his best, you know, he is you know, arguably still the best player in the world. He's certainly right up there with Dustin Johnson. And uh, if, if there's one guy in the field who can beat Dustin over four rounds, it is Rory McIlroy. Uh, the question is whether he'll do it or not. Uh, as I say, psychologically, he needs to be ready. He's certainly prepared himself in terms of practice and course knowledge is right there. No one is more prepared than he is right now. He's ready for this, but he's still got to do it. And Augusta National has its ability, Carlos, to trip up players who just want it that little bit too much. Oh, certainly. And like you said, if he's on, if he has, he brings his game, his A game, uh, hand in the jacket, it's going to be his. Well, let me talk now about Jordan Spieth. After 12 long months, he finally will have the chance this week to exercise his Augusta Demons uh, at the Masters. 
Augustus is a fascinating juxtaposition, a course of such sublime beauty, but a beast that has swallowed up and spat out a number of golfing greats. Just like you said, ask Rory McIlroy. <laughs> Yet Speed was a man who consistently had made a mockery of that beast, who had played Augusta with the ease of a vacation camp pitch and putt. A second-place finish as a rookie in 2014, followed 12 months later by a stunning wire-to-wire victory that saw his aggregate score of a 200 tie the, set, the record set by Tiger Woods, seemingly unbeatable effort in 1997. History was repeating itself in almost unthinkable fashion last year. For three rounds, he led the way with his unearing, at times unnerving, calm, not even the prospect of a third-round showdown with Roy McIlroy was enough to throw him off course. By nine holes of an unfaithful Sunday, the record books were being updated. A run of four birdies heading into the turn had him five shots clear of Danny Willett. It was inevitable. Speed would become the youngest player to win three majors, the first to achieve back-to-back, wire-to-wire wins at a major, a two-time champion in just three visits. Instead, what was unfolding was unfathomable, a meltdown of historic proportions. But you know that meltdowns are commonplace in sport. It is a sport with, uh, without equal for its cruelty and its ability to make even the strongest characters become shrinking violets. But it happened to him. This kind of things it just, just did not seem likely to happen to him, but yet, yet it did. Golf and Augusta had claimed another victim, and he was gracious in defeat as he admitted that Danny Willett won it rather than him losing it. But at that moment, Jordan Speed placed the jacket, the green jacket on the shoulders of Danny Willett last April. He thought one thing, I am going to make this guy give me that green jacket back. You know, that's the kind of, of boldness that he has. He has been on a collision course with Thursday's tea time for 51 and a half weeks. He eats, sleeps, and breathes Augusta Redemption. And one of the demons that hang in the air, uh, number 12, where it all came crashing down, well, he already practiced it, and he made a birdie on it. So he's over it. He just pump-fisted, and he said, I'm over it. There's no greater competitor in golf right now than him. It explains his vocal outburst and emotional tantrums and sub-average shots. He demands perfection of himself. That determination is a prerequisite for being successful at Augusta. So he's scoring, so he's a top-ten putter, arguably the best in the world. He leads the PGA Tour this season in strokes gained, approach to the green. Only two players hit more greens than he does. Only one makes more birdies on average. He's definitely a scoring machine. Oh, and don't forget his record at the Masters, second win and second. I had someone tell me last week, Speed will birdie number 12 more than once. He will silence his critics. He will win. It has been the most guaranteed thing in sports for months now. He very well could. We'll just have to wait and see. And with that, we close the top six review of the favorites. And now we're going to go to the, what we call the second tier, the fat fives. And we have uh, them, gathered them in groups of five. Fred is going to take the first shot with Phil Mickels and Ricky Fowler, Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, and Bubba Watson. Yeah, you know, Phil can win. He's still still at the age of 46. He can still get it done. Jack did it. Uh, Phil is much more competitive than Jack was at the time. He's made every cut this year, and although he was T55 in Houston last week, he has two top tens in Mexico and in the mass play. 
Let's talk about Patrick Reed. He's due to get hot and win a major. Augusta could be just a place. If he can channel some of the energy he puts into the Ryder Cup and hold a few pots, he may just add a green jacket to his closet on Sunday. Brooks Kepka has the length. Does he have the touch and the mindset? Not too sure about that. Bubba Watson. Bubba has proven he can win here. He loves Augusta and it likes him. Don't count him out. Ricky Fowler is my last guy that you gave me here, Carlos. And I said I was going to talk a little bit more about him. Well, I'm picking, picking Ricky to win it all. Win his first oh, major. Yeah, exactly. I'm throwing it out there now. Now we're talking about him. We saw him finish top five in all the majors in 2015. He's playing at a very high level right now. And I think he's very confident in what he's trying to do. He spent some time with Butch a few weeks ago. He's been playing really good, showing up on leaderboards. Uh, you know, he's had just a couple little glitches here that have kept him from winning the last week or so, but I really like Ricky coming in this week. Wow. Dead silence. Wow. Dead wow. silence. Wow. Oh, man, yeah, silence the crowd. Drop the mic. It was it was unexpected, out of the clouds. But, hey, it was very Kieran. unexpected, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kieran, as unexpected as it was, you have Danny Willard, who won last year, Justin Rose, Henrik Stenson, Adam Scott, and Louis Eusheisen. Yes, well, and of course, Danny Willard's coming in here, a defending champion, you know, having, really enjoying an incredible week, coming up at the weekend there, playing the golf course as a champion, uh, and of course, having the, 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 the incredible experience of being at the champion's dinner, probably right now, he's there right now, sitting with all the great players in the past and in the present, in that company, which must be quite intimidating, I would imagine, as well as exciting. Serving them, watch, which was actually quite a decent menu, I have to say. It was fairly, I don't think there were too many offended by the menu, so it was, it was fairly nice, solid Yorkshire uh, cuisine from England, and uh, anyway, it wasn't too bad. So I think even the older guys might, might quite enjoy that one. Uh, but Danny's obviously had a great week this week, but of course, you know, he won the Masters last year, which was seen as being a surprise, uh, I think somewhat unfairly. He was ranked 12th in the world. He was a very capable player. He was, he was progressing in the right direction. Uh, he maybe, maybe he was not one of the favourites, but he was still, he's still capable. He wasn't a shock winner. It wasn't a guy coming from you know, 60th in the world winning this. He was a guy who was one of the top 15 players in the world at that point. And um, he showed why. He, finished, he obviously took advantage of his opportunity with Spieth collapsing, but Willett played the back nine brilliantly under pressure. And, uh, and he created a great master's finish and won 20 years after Nick Faldo did to get another win for not just uh, England, but for Britain and indeed for Europe as well. So a great win from there. But this week, you know, Danny's not had a great run of form uh, really since winning the Masters. You know, the Ryder Cup was a very harsh experience for him. We all remember the incident with his brother writing that article that offended people, and that kind of clouded uh, Danny's week. He hasn't played well since then. He's coming in here with no expectations, and I have to say that some people may have thought last year's win was a surprise, but if Danny was to succeed this week, it would be an even bigger surprise than last year. So I don't think Danny will play well, will win this week. I think making the cut, enjoying all four days, and making the most of it, his experience as defending champion, that's about as much as he can expect this week. Uh, but Justin Rose, of course, another Englishman, one of 11 Englishmen in the field, a record number. In fact, behind the United States, England is the most represented nation in the field, which is an incredible achievement. Really, it's been a bit renaissance for English golf in recent years. Danny's win last year was kind of the headline of that, but there's so many great players there. Younger guys, of course, like Fitzpatrick and Fleetwood and Hatton, 
But there are some older guys there as well, and Justin Rose is one of those, a guy who's got a very strong record at Augusta. He's really been a contender at Augusta for a decade now since finishing a Typer fifth back in 2007. I think he actually led, a, led up the first round in 2004 as a younger player as well. And indeed, he finished 10th last year and finished second to Jordan Spieth alongside Phil Mickelson two years ago. So Justin has a great record in the, in the Masters, enjoys the golf course, play, the scoring record there is excellent. Uh, he's a perennial contender there. The question is, of course, will he have that extra edge to go across the finishing line? And you have to compare him to the, the top guys right now. Uh, can Justin Rose beat Dustin Johnson over four rounds? Can he beat Rory McIlroy over four rounds? Can he beat Jordan Spieth, the specialist, there over four rounds? When you put it like that, it doesn't sound too optimistic. But yet again, this is a guy who played as like an experienced player. He's a major champion. Uh, but I just don't think Justin will do it. I think he might finish top ten, but I don't think he'll be quite in the mix uh, on Sunday afternoon. And I come, come to last year's Open champion, Henrik Stenson, who is you know, one of the best ball strikers in the game, has been for a decade at least. But yet, he's not a great fan of Augusta National. His record there is a dismal, to say the least, and, uh, which is surprising given how well he hits the ball. But the course is just never quite fitted with Henrik. And in the end, as Jack Nicholas said, you know, a golf course shouldn't fit with a player. You should try and fit your game to that golf course. And a lot of the guys now, they don't quite get that into their heads. Maybe Henrik is one of those guys. Uh, so Henrik is obviously is a brilliant player, one of the best in the world, major champion. His, his performance last year at Troon is one of the best in, in history of any major. And um, he would normally be seen as being a, a contender. But I think this week, you know, the Masters just didn't quite fit for him. So I'd be, I'd be surprised to see Henrik in contention on Sunday. And then we have Adam Scott, a man who has won at Augusta four years ago now when he beat Angel Cabrera in the playoff to win the first Masters for Australia after years of heartache for Greg Norman. With, of course, a win with the dreaded long putter, which, of course, is now absent from his repertoire. Uh, Adam Scott is always a, a contender in majors. He's got a great game for them. He hits the ball so well. He's very solid in, in all aspects of his game, apart from on the greens. But, of course, he's such a great ball striker that if he has a great week there, he can get away with being an average putter, like he did four years ago when he won at Augusta. But since then, he hasn't quite played well at Augusta. He's played well in the other majors, but not at the Masters. And I think now at 36 years old, he's not an old player by any means, but now with all these young guys coming through, Adam said at the start of the year he's kind of aware that his window is closing in terms of major success. Uh, he's going to have fewer and fewer opportunities going forward. If he's to win another Masters, another major, he'll have to do so probably in the next couple of years. Uh, this week, I, I can't see it happening for him. I think he's always capable. I think he'll probably end up in the mix somehow. But does he quite have that edge on the greens, under pressure, in crucial moments at the moment, to finish ahead, again, of Dustin Johnson, of Spieth, of Macro? You have to keep comparing everybody to those guys. It's all fine saying a guy can contend, be an outsider, but can he beat, realistically, those four players over four rounds? Again, I'm not sure. But perhaps the windy conditions could make it possible for a former champion to come through, a guy with that experience, and Adam Scott certainly ticks that box. And then we come to a guy who is one of the great enigmas in the game of golf, Louis Tazen, who has just the most immaculate golf swing. He's just the most capable player you've ever seen. When he's on, he's as good as anybody else in the game. He won the Open Championship in 2010, obviously at St. Andrews, imperiously. He had a chance to win the Masters five years ago, losing in the, losing in the playoff to Bubba Watson, but of course having that great albatross moment on the second hole, winning the crystal there. And um, obviously he played well in the, the Open a couple of years ago at St. Andrews again. So Louis is someone who... On the big occasion, he steps up to the mark and he plays well. 
and he's always capable, but he hasn't shown anything really in his game that would suggest that he's going to come here and be a realistic contender. But yet again, he's one of these guys you can't fully write off. But I would be surprised if he was the one to wear the green jacket on Sunday. But, you know, he might pick up some crystal again, Carlos. He could, he could. He, when he's on, he, he can win anywhere. He has, like you said, one of the most beautiful swings in golf. And, uh, you, there's one thing that I like that you're saying. You have to, We have to compare the players uh, to the top four. Can they beat them throughout four rounds? I think that that is possible if you keep track with them and then you have a great final round like it happened to Danny, like it happened once to, to Charles Schwartz, so that birdie don't, that went into that birdie garage. So that is possible if they keep keep being around. But let me tell you one thing. I, I don't know how I keep getting this to talk about these players, like Sergio Garcia, <laughs> John Graham, Thomas Peters, and Alex Noren, and Tyrell Hatton. I don't know how I got those five. But, uh, it's, it's, I'm you know, Carlos, it's, 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 it's almost yeah. like you're the one that sets the show up, isn't it? It's amazing how all these coincidences keep happening. People would think that. It's incredible. But it's just pure luck, pure coincidence. But anyway, uh, let's talk about Sergio, my man. He's ranked 11th in the world, and he already has won this year, the Omega Hawaii Desert Classic, which bumped him into ninth in the world at the time. But he has been a little silent since his best finish at the Masters is way back at T8 uh, in 2004. Since he, since then, he has uh, top 10 only at T8 back in, T, in 2013. I still believe, I still believe, you know, last Masters, last year's Masters champion, Danny Willard, won the Dubai Desert Classic en route to a stunning victory at Augusta National. This year, Garcia won the Dubai Desert Classic. Could it be? I don't know. Yeah. But let me tell you one thing. He has never seemed happier on the course, and his swing is as good as ever. But I won't trust that he has won a major until about three weeks after the final putt drops. That's when I would believe it. And I don't think Augusta will be the one. But I do think Garcia gets a couple more shots at the green jacket before he passes the torch to John Ram. Uh, and talking about John Ram. He started the year ranked 137th in the world, and it's all the way up to 12th, one spot behind Sergio. I think you already have heard plenty of me talking about what I think about him and last year with Kieran. I said he will eventually take Sergio's place in Spain's top uh, golf uh, star legacy. He has that boldness, the kind once displayed by Rams golfing heroes, Sevi Ballesteros, that is bound to make a difference in the Masters, the tournament mark by great risks and great rewards. You know, Big Spain is scared of no field, no curse, and no man. I just, I question whether he has the mental patience it takes to win a major just yet. But that is all, about all, I question from him. Thomas Peters, we all remember his heroics last summer as he dazzled at the Olympics and bulldozed his way into a captain's pick for the European Ryder Cup team where he excelled in establishing himself as a future staple on it. You all know this is another player I'm really high on, I believe. The Belgian could win, win multiple majors. I know what I saw for his hand at the Ryder Cup last year. McElroy handed him the reins, and he took them with both eyes wide open. He's to be feared at big boy events. Watch out. He's been another big risk reward player with no fear in him. 
and Augusta can play right into his strength, even though this is the time that he first time that he will play it. Alex Noren, he's a first timer at the age of thirty four. He's also the highest ranked golfer in the world currently number ten, who is also playing in his first masters. Noren is another player whom we have been reporting a lot. And if he would have started his recent form earlier last year, he could have been a factor in making the European Ryder Cup team. I tell you, you keep an eye on him. The Swede is well suited to Augusta because of his ability to fade the ball, which is an advantage here. We all know that, and he's an expert at that. He's playing at a great level for about a year now, and I would not be surprised to see him contend and even win. And Tyrell Hatton, man, another guy I've been talking about. This is incredible. Steady climb for another of the players of uh, my Raiders. Started the year 23 in the world. It's all the way up to 15. I'm unhappy even. I mean, unhappy even though this is his first run at Augusta. He has top tens in the past two majors, and he's another player that can really, really go and play really low. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's there contending. Well, now let's go to our top international picks. The dark horse are young veterans, the veterans, I mean the young guys, the veterans, and are picked to win. So, Kieran, you go first. Uh, my top my, uh, my top international player uh, for the week, uh, which I'm assuming you mean anyone apart from an American player, of course. I mean, I'm right. assuming my European right. guys are still included here. They count as well. Yeah, that's yeah? right. That's well, that's good. Thank you. So, I'm, I'm going to pick my, as my... My international player then uh, t- to play well this week. Uh, I'm actually going to I'm going to pick. It's probably not a great surprise to anybody, I guess. But I'm going to pick Rory McIlroy. I think Rory will, is here coming in the right frame of mind. I think he's prepared. I think he will come in. I think he'll play well. I'm not necessarily saying he will win, but I think he'll come very close. To, he'll certainly be in contention come Sunday, even with the wind conditions being as they are. I still think he'll find a way to get round that. And uh, he's continually improved every year at Augusta, and I think he's he's ready to potentially on that green jacket and make history uh, this weekend. In terms of my dark horse, I'm going to pick another international player. I'm going to pick Mark Leishman, who recently won the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, contended oh. four years ago when, Mark Leish, when, uh, when Adam Scott won there. He's also lost in the playoff in the Open Championship at St. Andrews, so he's a guy who's tasted the big stage. He has experienced that environment. He's, he's a very good all-round game. He's a powerful player, good solid player, a good attitude. And uh, I think he could potentially be an outside pick to come through and maybe up-surprise the favourites this week. Uh, in terms of a, a younger guy potentially playing well, you know, it depends who you define as a young guy nowadays. Guys like Rory, who are only 27, they feel like veterans these days, uh, given how young some of the players are. So I'm going to pick a slightly younger guy. I'm going to pick someone who maybe hasn't quite shown the greatest form in recent weeks, but he played well here last year. And uh, I think in kind of... Awkward conditions, he might play well because he's a very good short game, and that is Matt Fitzpatrick, who he finished well last year quietly, and uh, he's, a, he's got all the tools in his game. And I think uh, you know, in inclement weather, windy conditions, I think his short game will become extremely valuable. He could find himself in the mix come Sunday, potentially trying to follow Danny Willett and winning as an Englishman again. So he's one of them. He's, he's my outside uh, young guy pick. And in terms of an older guy, you know, it's harder to kind of look past guys like Phil Mickelson and so on, but I'm going to go with my 50-plus guys, and Langer's obviously there, 
<laughs> Fred Couples is back this year after missing last year. He always plays well at Augusta. But, you know, someone who might do all right is, uh, is Steve Stricker, who's in the field this week. You know, a guy who's he played well at the Open Championship last year. That got him into the field this week. And uh, he's a great wedge game. And uh, he's also going to give himself looks at birdie. He doesn't make too many mistakes. And when he's on, he's a very good putter. So Stricker, at 50 years of age, it's going to be probably his last Masters. But you know what? He might find himself in the top ten. You never know. <laughs> oh man, I, I should have gone first, but anyway, I couldn't. So, uh, Fred, you're <laughs> that's your, that's your fault, Carlos. You made that mistake. Yeah, my fault. <laughs> See, I, I don't prepare the game, the the show. See, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Well, when you yeah, talk about international guys, uh, you know, I agree with uh, Kieran. The top international guy has to be Rory. Uh, he wants us badly. I'm not sure he's battle-hardened enough. You know, I don't know if he's had enough rounds this year to be ready to go, but uh, he's Rory, so so we'll see. Other international <laughs> players I like, uh, you know, Brandon Grace, Tyler Hatton, and Thomas Peters. Um, they both, you know, both those young guys have the game and the moxies to do well at Augusta. You know, although the course usually is not kind to first-timers. So, um, but I, 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 I'm really watching those young guys. Um, another young guy, if you're going to go with the young guy, uh, Jordan Speed, he's got to be the pick for the young guy. Uh, there's nobody else, really. Uh, Dark Horse, I'm going to throw a name out here that nobody's talking about. I uh, had a good week a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bill Haas, you know, being from the Carolinas, um, you know, he's playing good lately. This would really mean something for his career. You know, he's been in big situations coming off the Ryder Cup or the uh, President's Cup thing last year. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, he could, he could be the guy. I mean, he's got the game to do it. So talking about veterans, uh, Jim Furyk just isn't long enough, I don't think. Stricker has the game, but I just don't think he has the confidence if he gets in the hunt. He always goes sideways. It always gets away from him. Lee Westwood, probably not. Uh, sentimental favorite would be Ernie Els, but again, probably not. So I guess Dark Horse and Veteran rolled up into one. i got to go with Bill Haas. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, guys. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, mines are easy. I mean, top international. Let me see. Let me think through international. Uh, I, I'll, I'll throw here a surprise. Hideki Matsuyama. Okay, that's, that's oh, that, It's a surprise. surprise. I know. I know it was a surprise. I'm sorry about that. I, I should have warned you. But uh, I've already talked a lot about him, so I'm just going to leave it there. Hideki. Dark Horse. Uh, you, you got it for me there. Uh, here, Mark Leishman. He's no stranger <laughs> to Augusta. He's finished his highest tie for fourth in 2013. For the last three years, though, a uh, 33-year-old had has had two missed cuts and did not play in the tournament in 2015, but we know the reasons there. He's having a very good start to the 2017 season after struggling during the second half last year. He's a big-game hunter who's coming off a win at Bay Hill and he's in a great place mentally right now with his wife's health problems behind. So he probably won't win, but zeros are prices if he contends. Uh, and I'm going to throw another dark horse there. That has to be Tommy Fleetwood. I mean, in a lot of ways, he could be the Danny Willett of this year's Masters. He was awesome at the WGC Mexico Championship. And he beat BJ in Abu Dhabi. 
I mean, it's tough to see two straight willets, but oh, but there is something about Tommy that I can't shake off and makes me think this really, this guy could really win and he can surprise a lot of people. Young guy, another surprise here. I know this is out of left field. Is going to be John Ram, 22 years old, and I, I, I cannot even say again because uh, we don't have that much time. We have only 13 minutes. Uh, the veteran, well, it wouldn't surprise me to see three-time winner Phil Mickelson thrive this week. He, he may be 46, but he's still playing the golf of his life. And if forecast of high winds prove correct, it could suit seasoned competitors like him. And uh, maybe 2013 Masters winner Adam Scott and England's Paul Casey are two more experienced contenders, while Augusta's reputation as a course cut out for repeat success would also favor uh, two-time champion Bubba Watson. And, and finally, how about Lee Westwood? Hey, eventually Westwood, Westy has to win a major, right? I mean, with three second-place finishes and six, six second-place finishes in majors, it seems like he's always around on Sunday. So I'll go again around the, the table for one more crack at one final comment on the on the Masters. Kieran. I'm going to pick uh, Dustin Johnson to win the Masters this week. I think he has the best game at the moment in the world, the best all-round game. His power is imperious. Wedge game is great. He's putting better. I think his attitude, he's shown under pressure at the US Open last year. He can handle anything. And uh, he's a winner. He's not a consistent winner. And it's very hard to dismiss anybody who's coming into a major with that sort of form. Fred, how about you? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm picking Ricky to win this week. I just think it's his time. Um, but, you know, nothing would be better to see Jordan Spieth and Rory, I said this before, on Sunday paired together in the last group. And I really think DJ is going to be in the mix. Uh, you just can't count him out. So, But I also want to give just a quick shout-out to uh, Ernie L. He's going to be teeing it up for the 23rd time at the Masters this week. He's 47 years old now, and it probably will be his last Masters. Um, it's, he's in because it's the last year of his five-year exemption for winning the 2012 Open Championship. He could earn another invitation by finishing in the top four at any of the other three majors this year or in the top 30 in the FedEx Cup standings or be ranked among the top 50 in the world by the end of 2017. So for as good a career as Ernie Els has had, it's sad that he has not won more major championships, but two U.S. Opens and two Opens is pretty good, especially in the Tiger era. But from 2000 to 2004, at the height of his prowess, he had two runner-ups and three top tens at the Masters. It's hard to believe he's never won at Augusta, guys. And with that, we'll wrap up the massive, most comprehensive preview, wall-to-wall, of the Masters. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to take our last trip break. When we come back, we have our final pods and final thoughts. Don't worry. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraftSports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show.
And we're back, and now it's time for our final thoughts, and we're going to get the first shot here, and I'm going to tell you, meet Jordan Spieth, the golf course architect. Well, kind of. You know, the two-time major championship is champion is trying to hand his hand at golf course design as the 23-year-old Longhorn All-American has teamed up with veteran Austin golf architect Roy Bechtel to map out a six-hole course at the University of Texas Golf Club. The mini layout will help the men's and women's golf teams at UT sharpen their short games, and it will be named the Speed Lower 40, playing on the 40 acres tag for UT's main campus. Speed said, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a cool little par 3 golf course that will be demanding visually, but still fair for really solid wedge and short game. I was definitely very hands-on. I looked at the blueprints, the mapping, the scale. It's cool to be part of the design process with Roy because I am interested in doing that later in life. Hmm. I don't know, Kieran. That seems like the start of what could be uh, another successful career for Speed. But, hey, he's giving his take. I, I know that you know Jack Nicholas likes to put his imprint about his game on his uh, course design, and it seems like Jordan is doing the same. Yeah, quite possibly, following in the footsteps of, of course, the, the great Texan Ben Crenshaw. He, of course, won the Masters as well, but obviously is now one of the, the world's great course architects, and Jordan certainly has a, the intelligence to potentially be that later in life. And uh, I have a story here, which I can't wonder, help wonder why I've been given this story as a final part, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, not a, it's almost as surprising as Carl's talking about Hideki Matsuyama, but yes. <laughs> The, the New Yorker magazine, which of course is very famous for doing news essays and satire, and it's a, a great colourful thing, and they have very imaginative illustrated front covers, and it's always very entertaining. But golf hasn't featured on the front cover for many years now. In fact, it's been six years since uh, there's an image of Tiger Woods on the front cover playing a recovery shot. Of course, that was post-scandal coming back and so on, so it was quite popular then. But this cover involving golf involves arguably... I think most definitely the most famous golfer in the world right now. And uh, he's not the best, but he's probably the best known. And uh, it's, of course, U.S. President Donald Trump. He is featured on the front cover of the New Yorker, playing, hitting on in the lawn of the White House. He's playing a driver, a very, I must say, in the, photo, in the, in the illustration, a very large assed Donald Trump is in, in, in the image, and he's hitting his driver towards the White House. And uh, but what can this mean? What is the subtext here? What does it? You know, what is going on behind this image? What is the artist trying to convey to us through this wonderfully described and you know, detailed illustration? Well, apparently, the latest Brandy Blit cover, and the explanation is, and I quote: "I say that the word duffer is defined as a person inexperienced at something, especially at playing golf." And uh, Barry Blit went on, on to explain, that's the word that comes to mind as I watch President Trump plowing one drive after another through the glass windows of American <laughs> politics. And I think we can leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Tell that story that's here in Cuba. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> Hey, uh, Bryson DeChambeau uh, has pledged $250 per birdie and $500 per eagle that he makes on the PGA Tour during the, the month of April. He also will challenge his social media followers and fans to make their own pledges and make a difference. Dijkstrom Bo went on to say, My father has had diabetes for 27 years. His kidneys failed, and he relied on lengthy dialysis treatment nearly every day 
to simplify, simply stay alive. On Wednesday, March 8, 2017, his life was changed when he received the gift of life, the donation of a kidney from a living donor, a high school friend. That's why I'm proud to partner with the National Kidney Foundation and the Fresno Nephrology Kidney Foundation in my hometown to help raise funds for the promotion of organ donation and kidney health. To make your Birdie Challenge pledge a visit, Bryson DeChambeau Birdie Challenge. Carlos, that's all i got. And we got only four and a half minutes. So, Kieran, some quick final thoughts before we close. Uh, just to say thank you for having me on the show again. I've enjoyed being on it the past two weeks with you, Carlos, last week, and then, of course, with Fred this week, talking about the, some controversial moments in the LPGA, of course, getting into that discussion, and, of course, looking ahead to the Masters, which is obviously one of the great weeks of the year for any golfer, any golf fan. And, uh, you know, there's, the, the Masters sets the tone for the major season, really, and I expect no less this week. It should be fascinating. The weather should make it interesting. Obviously, anything can happen there. Birdies, eagles, potential disasters. Hopefully, we see it all, <laughs> and we hear the roars of Augusta. And uh, whoever, wins the green, whoever wears the green jacket on Sunday, I just hope they, they shake Jim Nance's hand properly this time. <laughs> Go ahead, Fred. Take video replay and Couch potato call-ins out of scoring for golf forever. Don't do it anymore. And let's hit the first tee on Thursday morning. I'm ready for the Masters. Amen to that. Take every of that away from it, please. Put more officials on the course. Well, Back Niners, that's up. Another week of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our friend and colleague, the European golf guru, Kieran Clark, always so knowledgeable and entertaining. I mean, I would not be surprised if we see in the future a Kieranpedia of golf. That's how good he is, okay? Can't wait to have you again on the show, dear friend. Don't forget to join Thank us you. again next Tuesday at Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio, or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. Also, remember that we're now on Roku TV. You can watch the show there. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. Remember, there is never, never, ever a boring week in the golf. Another exciting weekend is upon us with the Masters. Make sure you don't miss that action because when you least expect it, history can be made and memorable moments will be forged and you would miss them. My name is Carlos Torres along with Kieran Clark and Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night.